Welcome to another exciting episode of Feasting at the Table with Grace Tom Lawyer. Feasting at the Table is a Bible study program that seeks to apply the truth of God's word to our everyday life. It is a feast and so there's something for everyone. Get ready for a fresh, anointed and timely word from God. So you're welcome. I want to say a big thank you for joining us today. I'm excited because we started a new series. Today we started a new series and the title of the series is Root the Barrier Breaker. I'm Grace Tomoya. Welcome. So this series actually came because I was invited to a women's conference and then I was told the title of the team for the conference was Root the Barrier. It was the bar- Barrier Breaker. So I, I didn't have anybody, any study. And the more I prayed about it, after some time, I became convinced that that was the person, the life I was supposed to be using to talk about it. And I went to, I've read the book of Ruth several times, you know, but as I began to go back again deliberately to look at the things I had learned and to study again. I was amazed at the things I saw by the time I began to look at roots as it were as someone in the story there being someone who was a barrier breaker. And then you might begin to wonder why barrier breaker? Because sometimes, you know, when I thought about the team, Sometimes we think, we say, oh, barrier breaking. Every time we think about barrier, we're thinking that somebody should come and break barriers for us. But no, the team is Ruth, the barrier breaker. And why are we looking at the life of Ruth? Because when we look at the life of Ruth, we can see in her life some patterns. We can see in her life some characteristics. And I believe that every one of us has several barriers that we face. But as we look at the life of Ruth, we'll be able to see how did Ruth, you know, what were those things in the lives of Ruth that made her overcome the barriers that she faced? And then we'll be able to put that into our lives and believe I believe God that when we do so we would also be consistently able to break barriers. You see, the Bible is a book of principles, patterns, and promises. And if we're going to be claiming the promises of God's word, we need to understand the principles and we need to understand and look at patterns. So when we say barrier breakers, what do we mean? I believe that before we can talk and look at barrier breakers, I think there's a need for us. So in this first um, deposit, what we're going to do is we're going to look at what is a barrier. We're going to look at the types of barriers we can have. We're going to look at some characteristics of barriers. And we're going to look at who a barrier breaker is. Then we're going to be looking at God, the ultimate barrier breaker. And as it were, the promise for barrier breaking. And we'll look at Jesus also as someone who broke barriers. He has to look at different types of barriers that one could see. And then we will go to the focus of us. We will begin to look at the life of roots, a barrier breaker. And we'll do that by examining the book that actually bears her name in the Bible. So she's one of the two women who actually have their names as titles of books in the Bible, Ruth and Esther. So we'll be looking at Ruth. So I want to start by looking at a definition of a barrier. What exactly do we mean by a barrier? I'm just going to read the dictionary definition that I got. A barrier is something such as a rule, a law, or a policy that makes it impossible for something to happen or for something to be achieved. I'm sure a lot of us came through barriers. By the time we want to move from one country to the other, there's a barrier. And some barriers could actually be useful. There's a barrier. You can't just move. There's a law. There's a policy. You need to get a visa to come into some certain places. That's what the def- uh, definite definition is it also said it is a problem that prevents two people or two groups from agreeing so that is a barrier or you could say a barrier is an object 
that prevents something from moving from one place to the other. And I'm sure we've all seen barriers. Maybe you see barriers, people put barriers on the road or they're repairing a section of the road and then there's a barrier there. That's what the or that's another way of defining what a barrier is. And we have different types of barriers. We've got career barriers, we've got financial barriers, relationship barriers, spiritual barriers, there's cultural and there's also racial barriers. And of course, there's also emotional barriers. But one of the things I would say is that barriers affect people differently. There are some common barriers available to all. I mean, there are some gender barriers. There are some things that as women, you know, there's a barrier there. There's some things that as Africans, there are some things as Caucasians. So there's some barriers that are common to peculiar people, a peculiar sex, a peculiar race, you know. But what I want to say is that there are sometimes we actually have barriers that are intermittent. There are some barriers that we face today that we don't face it tomorrow. There, there are some barriers that we face at every junction in our lives. And it's important for us to realize the fact that just because we are facing this barrier or someone else is facing a barrier does not give us the right to look down on them, especially when we cross that barrier. Because sometimes we cross a barrier and when we see people struggling with that barrier, guess what we do? We look at them for one second. Oh, no, 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 child of God. Remember what the Bible says in the book of Second Corinthians? It tells us that the comfort to which God has comforted us, and is our first Corinthians, is so that we are able to comfort others. So the fact that we've crossed a barrier means that we should be able to look back with empathy we should be able to look back and help somebody else fighting or going across that barrier and finally before we leave the issue of barrier what i would say is now not all barriers are real there are some barriers that are created in our minds there are some barriers that are psychological there are some barriers that there are some barriers that are perceived barriers they are not real barriers remember the children of israel moses sent 12 spies to go and spy the land and then two of them came came back saying the good thing and the other 10 were like oh those people are like giants were like grasshoppers in their and I'm child of God I'm wondering if some things that you're calling barriers are actually not barriers remember you see when we look at the call of Moses and God one of the things Moses said was oh they will not believe me who am I and the very first thing he said oh, who am I to go God said to him I am with you and child of God is important for us to have that verse with us God saying to Moses I'm with you repeat it again even in the New Testament that I'm with you always and that that is as it were actually you know the 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 proof that we should go with every time we're facing a barrier knowing that it's not just us we have christ we have god with us and then we need to ask ourselves okay who is a barrier breaker because we say which is a barrier breaker who is a barrier breaker a barrier breaker is someone who breaks barriers and i think that that's just a simple definition someone who breaks barriers someone who like might be in the dark and suddenly comes up and and I think that one of the promises for us to latch with is the fact that God wants us to break barriers. In short, God is the ultimate barrier breaker. If you look at God's word in the book of Micah chapter 2 verse 13, I'm going to read that um, from the NET translation. It says, Micah is in the Old Testament, please. The one who can break through barriers will leave them out. They will break out, pass through the gates and leave. Their king will go before them. The Lord himself lead them hallelujah child of god that means that god himself is the ultimate barrier breaker so whatever form of barrier you're, you're going to just know and look at it there that god will lead us and i think Isaiah chapter 45 verse 1 to 3 also goes further to say i will go before you and level the mountains i will break down the gates of bronze and i'll cut through bars of iron those are types of barriers mountains is a type of barrier 
um, breaking through the gates of bronze. It's a type of barrier. And then through the bars of iron. Sometimes we think that we are just stuck behind the gate of bronze or we are just stuck behind the bars of iron. Oh, there's just a mountain before us. Child of God, I want you to be assured this morning that the Bible says that God is the ultimate barrier breaker. Us as it were, he's willing and able to help us to break barrier. And then we're going to look at examples of barrier. Let's just look at Jesus as someone you know who broke barriers. Because if you look at um Jesus as an example of the barrier breaker, I mean God coming down to earth himself and taking the form of man, that is a barrier breaking thing already to start with. But I think if you look at the story in the book of John, chapter four, where Jesus meets that Samaritan woman who had had five husbands. <laughs> the one we always remember, who had had five husbands, and the person she was even living with was not a husband. It shows us several barriers that Jesus broke, and those are barriers. We see Jesus breaking a racial barrier because one of the things the woman said to Jesus, How come you a Jew? You are speaking to me a Samaritan. So that's a racial barrier. When the disciples even came back, they were surprised he was speaking to a woman, gender barrier. You know, the Bible says that Samaritans don't really speak with Jesus. So that's a religious barrier Jesus broke. There's a moral barrier. This woman had had five husbands. Even the one she was living with was not a husband. You know, there's a barrier of barrier. barriers, but we don't have relationship barriers. And it does not matter whatever kind of barriers we are facing. We have the assurance that God is going to go before us to pull that to and level the mountains, to break through the gates of bars of, of iron and even the, the gates of the bars of, of brass. God is able to do all of those things. And God wants us consistently to break through barriers. And then by the time we begin to look at the life of we say Bruce is a barrier breaker because he's Ruth breaking several barriers. We see her break the gender barrier as a woman. We see her listed in the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1 to 6. That tells us that this woman, in those days, the women were not considered so for her to have been put in the genealogy of Jesus. That was a barrier itself that she broke. She broke also the racial barrier. You know, she married a foreigner. She might, I mean, she was in her own town where Elimelech and the sons migrated there. And of course, they married the girl named. That was a racial barrier. And she actually, at the end of the day, followed her mother-in-law back to a foreign place that she did not know. She also broke a career barrier. Because I tell you, I'm sure that Ruth was doing something else where she used to live before she carried herself and followed her mother-in-law to somewhere else. She broke the barrier of emotional pain. Guess what? She had known what it was to be engaged, to be married, to be loved. And suddenly she finds herself widowed. She's single again. She's back in the singles fellowship. She's seeing those people who they attended marriage counseling lessons together, running around with their children. And you know, she's just there. So it doesn't matter where you are. I, I don't know if I'm going to mention some of the different barriers, because the different barriers that we're going through, I have to tell you that the Bible covers it all. The Bible shows us that it is possible for us to be barrier breakers. And we as it were to look at what the characteristics of barrier breakers. I think Ruth also broke a financial barrier because this is somebody who used to be provided for. Now she's having to, she's now a widow, so she's having to provide for herself and even provide for her mother-in-law. And she successfully did that. She also broke a self-image barrier. Because when we look through the book of Ruth, we find several things. We see her being referred to as Ruth the Moabite. We see her say, oh, she's Ruth the handmaiden. She's the wife of 
pass. However, whatever type of barrier she went through, she did it excellently well. And at the end of the book of Ruth and the beginning of the book of Matthew, we see her name come up listed forever in scriptures in the genealogy of Jesus. And I believe that when we go have a close look through the life of Ruth, we are going to see characteristics of barrier breakers. As we study the life of Ruth, child of God, this is what we're going to be learning. And I hope you're going to go with me. And the only way we're going to study the life of Ruth is by looking into the book that talks about her. So we're going to turn in our Bibles to the book of Ruth. But let me just say a few more things about the book of Ruth. has four chapters. It has got 85 verses. About 53 of those verses are actually a dialogue. You see people talking to each other while the rest are monologues. So it makes it a really very interesting book. That a book that can come alive, really. Because by the time I started studying this book to teach in this conference, I saw several things that I'd never been noticed before so let's just look at this book of Ruth. we find the book of Ruth. if you turn your bibles it's um somewhere between the book of judges and um, first samuel yes right in the middle of those two books and the very small book with four chapters and um, it was written some people have put it down to 1100 bc and some people have said it was perhaps written by samuel and uh, some people have thought that no, it was written after King David. That the 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 very end part of the book that links the ancestry of um, Ruth, you know, to David, to King David, that that would not have been written until David had become king, just to show us. Oh well, whether whatever time it was written, one of the good things is that it's there in scripture for us. There in scripture for us to learn from. And so this book was written. The Bible says in the time when the judges would. So let's turn our Bibles. Let's turn our Bibles, child of God. Let's turn our Bibles. We're going to be able to look at a few verses before we call it a day for today. If you turn your Bible to Ruth chapter 1, I am turning my Bible there. So Ruth is in the Old Testament, is in the middle, is in between Judges and First Samuel. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It says, the title the title of this first six verses says, Elimelech moves his family to Moab. In the days when the judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and two sons with him. This man's name was Elimelech and his wife was Naomi. Their two sons were Malon and Helon. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. And when they reached Moab, they settled there. Verse 3, then Elimelech died and Naomi was left with her two sons. The two sons married Moabite women. One married a woman named Opa and the other a woman named Ruth. But about 10 years later, both Mahon and Kilon died. This left Naomi alone without her two sons or her husband. That's a very, very sad beginning of the story. It's just sad. The book begins on a sad note. The beginning part of the book, we see a famine. We don't like a famine. In the beginning of the book, we see uh, there's a famine. We see that there are deaths and we see migration and we also see deaths. And when we look at the book of which we can say that chapter one is a chapter of weeping, chapter two is a chapter of working, chapter three is a chapter of waiting, and chapter four is a chapter of a wedding. So yes, we can look forward to going to chapter four because that's going to be the sweet ever after chapter four. What year we're in chapter one? It's a place where the very first few verses shows us a lot of tears. In short, the whole of chapter one is filled with tears. There are tears, several tears, tears of um tears of crying over bereavement, tears of departure. There are several tears that we see here, but just concentrating on this first place, it says that this book of Ruth, it was written, this, this whole story happened in the days when the judges ruled in Israel. And I don't know if you're familiar with the days when the judges ruled in Israel, but if you go to the book of Judges, 
we see that one of those things that they said about those days was that everyone did what was right in their own sight. If you look at Judges chapter 17, verse 6, and if you look at Judges chapter 21, verse 25, it was the period of the judges and the mentality there. In short, the Bible says that there was no king in Israel. That was it. And so everyone did what was right in their own sight. If you look at Judges chapter 17, verse 6, Judges chapter 18, verse 1, and even chapter 21, verse 25. What's interesting in this phrase that every man did what was right in their own sight was that everyone just did what was what was happening. Everyone had their own truth, like we have in our society today. So sometimes people refuse to accept the fact that the truth is universal. You can't say this is your truth, this is my truth, this is her truth, this is no, 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 no. The truth is universal, and there can be no greater truth than the word of God. The Bible tells us in the book of Psalm that forever, oh God, your word in the heavens forever it is settled in the heavens and then we see that apart from this being the kind of time where this happened the bible says that it was in those days there was a severe famine and i tell you that a famine is not something we love to experience nobody loves to experience a famine but guess what this family was happening in the land of israel they were in the promised land and there was a famine and child of god is very possible for you to be where god wants you to be and you could experience a famine and i want to say that because many times you read some commentaries about this oh elimelech you shouldn't have left there you shouldn't have done this and you know when we see that people are going through a famine we begin to look at them in such a way but child of god you know that a famine is something that we would all experience. A famine or a famine can be anything. It could be a famine in our career. It could be a famine in our relationship. It could be a famine in our in our marriage. It could be a famine as well in our country. But whatever kind of famine, let's look at how do we face famines? Because the Bible says here that the severe famine came. And guess what happened? In the midst of the severe famine, the Bible says that a man from Bethlehem, and Bethlehem means man, a house of bread, in Judah, the place of praise. Guess what? He left his home and he went to live in the country of Moab. If you look through the text, the Hebrew text, he just went there for a while. But the Bible says that when he got there, he settled there. So we see here that in the midst of a famine, guess what? You have to take a decision. Child of God, what are the things that engineer our decisions? What decisions? What makes our decision? Our decisions, because this is a hard situation and it happens to us a difficult situation. In a difficult situation, what kind of decisions do we make? Are decisions based on financial reasons only? Or are we listen to what God is saying because the Bible tells us in the book of Acts that God determines the place where we live and stay and Bible is very particular about where people stay, where people are. In our last study when we were looking at Cornelius one of the things we said was when, when the angel was, when the, the scriptures were being written, one of the things the Bible tells us that oh Cornelius talks about the fact that he's a man, talks about the fact that this man stayed in Caesarea when he talked about Peter when the angel came to tell Cornelius something he said listen Cornelius, send for Peter he's a jopper, he's this. When we look through the Bible over time and time again, when God mentions people, usually he mentions where they live, their setting, who they are with. And so we see this man getting himself uprooted from where he normally lives to another place. And he's doing this because of famine. Yes, I mean, he was perhaps trying to fend for his family. And God wants us to fend for our family. Sure, the Bible tells us in the book of Ezekiel, Second Timothy talks about a man who does not, you know, care for his family as it were, you know, he's worse than an infidel and we shouldn't use spiritual things to cover the need for us to cater for our families. We see here Elimelech emigrating, moving and that's what's been happening these days. People are moving and when people are moving you don't know what God has said to them. You don't know if perhaps the circumstances have caused them to move. But what I want us to take from this child of God is when difficult situations come, let us make our decisions with God in mind. Because this is what happened even to, if you look at Elimelech, this is what happened to Abraham. At one time, the Bible says 
years old, there was a famine and Sarah moved and he went to Egypt. And when he got to Egypt, guess what? That was when as they were living there, Sarah took the handmaid, Hagar from Egypt. And we all know what happened between Abraham and, and, and Hagar. What if Abraham never went to Egypt? That was the same thing Isaac wanted to do. There was a famine in the land and he wanted, he was planning to go to Egypt. Who knows? He had gotten his visa. Everything was ready. But Bible makes us understand. And God appeared to him and said, no, don't go to Egypt. Stay in this land. And God prospered him in this land. And it's interesting because Elimelech left this place, but not everybody left. Because when we come back to a few chapters later, we'll see a relative of Elimelech who remained in the land, in the place of the famine, and the famine eventually passed. Let us not make permanent decisions, make made on you know temporary things that are happening. We need to find out for ourselves as in this decision I'm making. Am I making this decision based on what God has said to me, based on what the word of God says? Or am I being moved by my circumstances? A famine moved Elimelech. I, why are we talking about Elimelech? Because Elimelech is in a way related to Ruth. And we need to understand where Ruth is coming from and how Ruth entered the story. The Bible says this man's name was Elimelech. And then he went to Moab. Interestingly, the last um, series we did was a series on the era of Balaam. And we noticed that the people of Moab know that this, the people of Moab were relatives as it were of the Israelites because they were descendants of Lot. But this kind of descendants, they were incest children of Lot as it were, from his daughters. He, his two daughters decided to like drug him, get, made him drink wine, and they slept with them. And when you look at the story of Lot, it's particularly because Lot also shows us what happens when we make decisions based on what we can see. Because Bob says that there was a problem between Lot's headmen and Abraham's headmen. The land was too much for it. was not enough for them. And Lot was told, oh, choose. And Bob says he lifted up his eyes and he saw the whole land, you know, of Sodom and Gomorrah, well watered, where Check Genesis chapter, I believe chapter 13, 17, they are about, no, it's not 17. Sorry, I'm putting that wrong. He looked at all of that and then he decided to go there. And when he went there, guess what? At the end of the day, years down the line, he showed that that was not the right decision. And child of God, I wonder what decisions we are making, what decisions we have made, what consequences we are suffering from some of the decisions we've made based on temporary things. Just because we know we're trying to get out of a difficult situation. We see here that that was what Elimelech did. So let's read. And this is Moab. Remember that the Moabites were the ones who hired Balaam to come and curse them at one point in time. So he goes to live in the camp of the enemy. Bible says he takes his wife and his two sons with him. And I like that because we should not just look at what Elimelech did wrong, but he took his wife and his two sons. He didn't decide to just leave them as to fend for themselves. No, he took his family with him. He carried his family along. Bible says that the man's name was Elimelech. And his name means my God is king. And I wonder if you're listening to me, is God really king in your life? I was listening to my Bible this morning and I had the audio part reading and it was reading 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You know, it says that, it says, uh, chapter 5, where it says that we make it our aim to please him. We make it our aim to please him. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 tells us not to squeeze ourselves into this mode. Let's remember that we have a king. God is our king. And because God is our king, we should factor, we should, we should be concerned about his kingdom. We should be content. We should have a kingdom mentality. The Bible says this man's name was Elimelech. And then his wife was Naomi. I've looked at several things in the life of Naomi and that the, uh, the name of her name, her name is Pleasant. You know, her name is Amiable. So that's beautiful when a man whose name is my God is king marries somebody whose name is um, Naomi. She's a pleasant person. So this is a family. And the Bible says that they were blessed with two sons. So they received the blessing of God because sometimes we want to look at, oh, look at what happened. No, before those sons came in, what are those things that God has done for you? This man, Elimelech, he was blessed. 
blessed he had a wife and God blessed him with two sons, Marlon and Kilon. And names of the two sons are quite interesting because they both have some very interesting names. I think Marlon means um sickness and the other name means weakness. Maybe there was something wrong with the sons when they gave birth to them. Bible says that they were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. So it distinguishes this place. It says, and when they reached Moab, they settled there. They settled in that place. They settled in a foreign land. And child of God, I wonder, have they settled in a foreign land? I always say in a foreign land. I'm talking about settling in a foreign place spiritually. I've said, are we settling in that place where God has not asked us to settle? Is there a foreign land that we are settling in our minds? Because if you look at the children of Israel, if you look at the leaders and most experiences, and they that carried us away captivity, they required of us a song. And we said, how can we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? Bible says, these people settled in a strange land. These people settled in Moab. They settled in a strange place. And child of God, are we settling in a strange place? I when we say a strange place, I'm telling you that a strange place is anything that is not of the kingdom. It could be a strange place mentally, where we told ourselves we cannot do it, where we told ourselves God cannot use me, where we brought, we have allowed the enemy bring so many excuses to us that is causing us not to be able to move forward to break barriers. Bible says they settled there. They left where God had planted in. The land that God had promised a land of milk and honey. And yes, it's possible for you to be in the place that God has promised and experience famine because he was right in that place, in the place, that land that God has sworn to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Elimelech and his family were right in that place. God had blessed them in that place. But when they experienced famine, they moved themselves and they came to a foreign land and they settled there. Elimelech, who says, my God, is king. He's somewhere else now in a foreign land settling there. And guess what the Bible says while he was there? The Bible says in verse 3, then Elimelech died and Naomi was left with her two sons. We see so happening. And I don't want us to just think that, um, put it down to the fact that, oh, he went to a foreign land. I want us to just see it as life. Life happens. People die. And if they don't die, how would they go and meet the Lord? I said, that's one way to meet the Lord. People die. And Naomi went through grief. Naomi went through grief. She meant through what it meant, you know, to lose someone you love. I'm sure you may be listening to me. Maybe this month that has passed, you've lost somebody. I want to let you know that God understands. He, these things are in the Bible there so that we understand that we have someone. The Bible says a high priest who knows, who is familiar with the things that we are going through so that he can comfort us. The Bible says there are two sons married Moabite women. So apart from the fact that she had so, after some time, guess what? There was celebration in her house. She did wedding. She was mother of the bridegroom. Hallelujah. She welcomed people into her house. Her family increased. She had two daughters, so she celebrated. Bible says one married a woman called Oka, and the other one married a woman called Ruth. But Bible says, but about 10 years later, guess what? Tragedy struck again. Both of her sons died. She buried one, and people perhaps me that told her, her future will not arise the second time. And then the next thing, she had one more son, one more thing left for her. Bible says, this other son died, and Bible says she was left alone without her two sons or her husband. And this is where we're going to stop here. This is where we're going to stop today, child of God. She was left alone. Perhaps you're thinking that everything you have, you've lost it. Until let you know, child of God, that God is in the business of restoration. Because we see that as part of restoration, God brings into the life 
of now Nivut. And I want to tell you, child of God, that God is going to go about restoration in your life by bringing people. So do not despise the people that God brings to you. Do not despise the relationships that you have around you. If we're going to be barrier breakers, we have to be people of people. We have to be people who love people. I'm not talking about roots yet, but we see here roots in the life of Naomi as someone that brought comfort to her because God is interested in comforting us. God is interested in us at that point of our the Moabite. The Moabite being introduced into the story. And that's why we're going to stop because we're going to, by the time we come back again, we're going to continue and begin to look at the life of you. Look at character. Mixed this in her life. We've said that she broke several barriers. We said that she broke a gender barrier. She broke a cultural barrier. She broke uh, a social economic barrier. She broke financial barriers. She broke an emotional barrier. She broke barrier of self-image. Well, we come back, when we come back, we're going to see those things in the life of Ruth. And we're going to see how she did that. Those characteristics of barrier breaking. We've seen here in the very beginning of the chapter. We see in the very beginning of the chapter decisions that were made and what happened. And sometimes when we have trouble, child of God, we either do what Elimelech do, do, did, run away from the trouble. You know, or try to ignore the trouble or face the trouble, knowing that God is with us. Face the trouble. It's possible to be in the promised land and there'll be famine there. It is possible. We have seen it here. And it's not all the time that the famine is as a result of disobedience or we've done anything. Sometimes it's just part of life. Sometimes it's just part of the training process. And it's important for us to know and to stay with God in that. So this is where we're going to be stopping today. Elimelech, my God is king. And I'm going to ask child of God, is God really king in our lives? Do we do things to please him? Do we do things understanding that he's king? Are we passionate about his kingdom coming to bear in our own domain? Because the Bible says that the first man we talked about here, the Bible says that, listen, his, his meaning of his name is my God is king. Roots the barrier breaker. Let's just have a word of prayer today. Father, we pray today, oh God, this day we bring before you everyone who is listening. We ask, oh God, for everyone going through a period of famine in whatever areas of their lives, Father, be it in career, be it emotionally, relationship, academically, wherever this famine is. Physical famines also, Lord, we ask for your peace. We ask, oh God, for a way out. We ask, oh God, that you show us what to do. We pray, Father, that we'll make the right decisions. We'll not make decisions based on our stomach infrastructure. Or make decisions based on kingdom principles, based on what you are saying and where you want us to go. Father, we pray that as we continue in this study, we thank you because you've made us understand that you are interested in us breaking barriers and you have gone ahead of us to break every barrier. Lord, we ask that we follow your footsteps and as we learn in about the life of Ruth, we'll be able to imbibe those things in our life that change our world. Thank you, Father, for your word today. Blessed be your name, O God, in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen and amen. We hope you have been blessed by the word of God today. We look forward to seeing you again next time on Feasting at the Table.